Well, good morning. All right, look, I spend a lot of time with kids downstairs in Spark City. When I say good morning and they don't say it back good enough, I get them to do it again. I have all morning. Good morning. morning. Now we're talking. This is the way we want to get started. All right, good stuff. It's good to be here with you this morning as we continue to dive into our study on second, first and second Kings. The question before us this morning is this, how involved is God in the routine requirements of life? How involved is God in the routine requirements of life? Now, church, we should be easily saying, of course he's involved in the daily routine of life, or daily routines of life, because we know that. But if you notice lately, there's a lot of really big things happening in the world. There's a lot of big things happening in the world. I mean, God might have his hands full, right? It might seem that way sometimes. It looks like there's things that he is probably going to need to give his attention to. I don't want to bother him with the little things. Simply turning on any news channel, you're going to see it. You're going to see a lot of problems. Might be war. Might be wildfires. Might be earthquakes. It might be elections. It might be economic struggles and economic strife. It might be civil unrest. It might be the moral decline of our culture as a whole. But there's a lot of stuff going on. And it would seem sometimes from our perspective that God has his hands full. And I think as the church... I know I am, I am waiting with great anticipation for the day that God handles these problems and fixes them from my perspective, amen? Aren't you, aren't you waiting to say, I can't wait for these things to be over? I am. And so I'm waiting with anticipation. But while I'm waiting in anticipation and while we wait for those things, we've got to ask ourselves this question. Is it our desire to give God all the praise that he's due? Is it your desire to give God all the praise that he is due? I think it's safe for me to answer that one too. We should be saying, yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. We want to give God all of the honor that he's due, all of the worship, everything that he does. But when we become so focused sometimes on the really big problems that are happening in the world, sometimes we miss prime praise opportunities. Sometimes we miss the opportunity to do exactly what we just said we want to do. Does that mean we don't think about the big things? Of course we think about the big things. But we We want to make sure that we are finding the opportunity to give him all the praise that he is due in all of the things that might be considered routine by nature. And the routine stuff, because it's routine from our perspective, sometimes what will happen is that we will downplay it or we will flat out overlook it and how God is involved in these things. And if we do, then that's going to have a pretty significant impact on the way that we worship him and the opportunities that we have to do it as we live day to day. And today, we're going to be looking at two more miracles. We're going to see two miracles, and we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 38 
to 44. 1 Kings chapter 4, or 2 Kings, 2 Kings, sorry, chapter 4, verse 38 to 44. Let's read that together. It says, Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in that region. While the company of the prophets was meeting with him, he said to his servant, put on the large pot and cook some stew for these prophets. One of them went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and picked as many of its gourds as his garment could hold. When he returned, he cut them up into the pot of stew, for no one knew what they were. The stew was poured out for the men, but as they began to eat it, they cried out, Man of God, there is death in the pot. And they couldn't eat it. Elisha said, Get some flour. He put it into the pot, and he said, Serve it to the people to eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. That's the first miracle. Second one, starting in verse 42. A man came from Baal Shalashah, bringing the man of God 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain, along with some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. How can I set this before a hundred men, his servant asked. But Elisha answered, give it to the people to eat, for this is what the Lord says. They will eat and have some left over. Then he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, the opportunity that you've even given us just in our daily routine of getting up, that we get to come and we get to pray to you. We have an audience with the king, that we get to gather together as your church. Father, that we have just spent time in worship to our Lord and Savior through music. I thank you for that opportunity. I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit will open our ears, soften our hearts, and get ready to receive what your word has to tell us. God, we ask all these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. All right. Two miracles that we're working through, and we get to talk about food. Yeah, this is going to be a good morning. When we get to talk about food, I'm a happy guy. So uh, in the first miracle, we're going to see Elisha has returned to this region called Gilgal. And there was a problem. What we would consider not a routine problem. This is a big problem. There was a famine in the land. That's going to be a, something you'd probably focus on if, if there's a famine. This was a seven-year famine. And so the first thing that we want to recognize and that we're going to learn from this passage is that even in the middle of these things, God is the supreme restorer. God is the supreme restorer. What makes him supreme? Is it because he can handle all of the big things? Yes. But he's supreme because he can also handle all of the little things, too. We don't want to forget about that. He doesn't just restore extraordinary, but he also restores what might seem ordinary or routine or sometimes mundane. So we want to shift our mindset so that we pay attention to these kinds of provisions. And as we look in this first miracle in verse 38, we see the famine. Now, while this famine would be considered the big deal, daily life is still going on. 
And the company of the prophets or the sons of the prophets, it's not the actual like, like sons of the prophets. It's not like their kids. It's their, it's, it's them. It's like the, the name that they had. And they're going to meet, they would meet regularly and they would study these prophets together and they were going to meet Elisha. Elisha was by title, the leader of this group of prophets. So Elisha being a good host, it's going to make them a meal. Pretty good. That's pretty smart. And he's going to do it in the middle of, of, of the famine. He gives instructions to one of his students to put on the large pot, large pot. Already he's anticipating there's going to be lots. And since during the famine they had to harvest their own vegetables, Elisha calls one of his students over and he says, go out and find food. How's that for an assignment in the middle of a famine? Go out and find food. Okay. So this student goes out and I think he thinks he hit the jackpot because he finds this vine and it's got all of these gourds that are growing on it. And I mean, his intention was really good. He, I mean, I found food and look at all the food I found. How much food did he find? So much, in fact, that it says that he filled up his robe with them. I don't even think, I don't think that just means like the pockets. I'm not even sure if robes had pockets then. They might have. But I, like he lifted his robe and he put them in like this and he was carrying them. Excited. Elisha gave him the assignment and look what he did. Problem was, he had no idea what these things were. He had no idea what they were. But he comes home, cuts them up, and without any previous experience, he tosses them into the pot. Probably thinking, this is going to be a culinary adventure. It's going to be awesome. Now, for no those of you that know me, and my wife, we love culinary adventures. If you've talked to either one of us for more than five minutes, we've probably told you that there's a restaurant you really must try. It's delicious, the food is good, and we're going to try all sorts of different things. That's just who we are. That's part of who we are. Now, in my family of four, there are three of us who have that feeling. And one of them, it's Abby, my youngest. She's 15, almost 16. And she gave me permission to tell you this, so don't get mad at me. She's not so big on the exploration of culinary adventure. She doesn't mind going to a new restaurant, but here's what's going to happen when we, before we go. There's a checklist that we have to fill out. Number one, do they serve chicken fingers or pizza at this restaurant? I can see parents already going, oh yeah. Number two, do said chicken fingers or pizza have any weird spices or chunky things on them? Okay. Rule number three, do they have ketchup in this building? Because ketchup is the only thing, apparently, that's the only sauce that's going to work. And even if we meet the requirements before we go, other things can happen. So if we didn't think there were weird spices and or chunky things on said chicken fingers or pizza, and there is, we have to now meticulously remove any part of the main dish that has touched something that is touching the chunky part and put that into the do not eat pile. 
okay? And if for some inexplicable reason, the chef decided that this whole thing needed to be covered in sauce, suddenly Abby's not hungry anymore. It's weird. She's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really feeling it. In other words, unless it's completely familiar, she doesn't want to try it. Now, Susan and I as parents, and if you're a parent, you'll get this, you're going to say, try it. You might find something new that you like. It will be a culinary adventure. This is great. Abby's view is, it might also be the worst thing I've ever put in my mouth and I could be poisoned. That would have probably been the best strategy in this case that we read about today. Because the stew that was made is now completely full of unfamiliar vegetables and things were about to go bad. If you ever cook for people, you take them to a restaurant that you say, I, you, you got to try this place, you're going to, you, you wait. You wait for them to take that first bite. You just wait for it. You think, are they going to like it or aren't they going to like it? And they, they, they reach in and they take that first bite and you look at them, waiting. What, what, what's happening here? Do they like it or don't they like it? I don't always know what to expect. Here's a review I wouldn't want. Oh, man of God, there is death in the pot. That is not really the culinary review that I'm looking for. Because, and, as soon, remember, there's a famine, and as soon as you realize that the food's bad, what do you need to do? Throw it out. Have you ever burned something, like you're frying something and it burns, and you're like, I'll just scrape off the stuff on the top. It'll be fine. It's never fine. It always tastes like burn. It doesn't matter what you do to it. You throw it out. Elisha says, that's not what we're doing here. Because I recognize that God is a supreme restorer. So what did he do? He took some flour and he sprinkled it on the ruined stew. I don't know how he sprinkled it. I pictured it was like one of those like, what? Like, you know those things that they, you see on TV where they lift the salt up and it drops? Or if you're older, like emerald, like, you know, give me some flour, bam! Like, I don't know how he did it. But he put flour in the pot. If you put flour in a stew, here's what happens. It thickens it. That's it. It makes gravy. That's good. But that's not why Elisha put it in. This was ruined. Elisha, had he only been focused on the catastrophe around him, would have missed this opportunity as a praise moment for God. He would have missed it. Because he might have sat there and they would have said, there's death in the pot. And then Elisha says, oh no, there's a famine. What are we going to do? We can't eat. That's not the reaction. But if he was just focused on the famine, it might have been. Maybe, maybe he would have said to the attendant, he would have called him over and, 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 and insulted him and beat him down and been like, you student, what did you do? You, you ruined the food and there's a famine. Do you not know about the famine? He didn't. He didn't do that. Instead, he said, God's able to fix this. God can do this. Verse 41, we can see that he responds with faith because he says, just get some flour. And he put it in the pot and said, serve it to the people. I mean, that's quite, that's confidence right there. <clears throat> and he was faithful that God was going to restore what was ruined. And then he used flour of all things. Flour is a remarkable, it's, it's a completely unremarkable ingredient, Want evidence of that? Go home and eat a spoonful of flour, right? It's not good. It's like, it's just flour. 
it's relatively unremarkable. At best, and, and, and it, while it will thicken the stew, Elisha, potentially remembering what happened, because we've seen flour before. It was in 1 Kings. It was in 1 Kings 17. Elijah, in the middle of a big drought, was ministering to a family, and flour, God had provided for them even more than they needed. So Elisha, remembering that God is a restorer, acting in faith. That's what we got to do. We got to remember what God has done, and then we have to act in faith. We have to respond to that. God takes care of the basics. He restored what was ruined, and he made it useful for people. He's a supreme restorer. But we also see in this, and in the next miracle, that God is also the supreme provider. God provides for the needs of his people, and he does it in abundance. In abundance. The second miracle account here, we see a man coming to Elisha. He brings some first fruits. Okay, These are some loaves of barley, 20 of them, and some ears of grain. An ear of grain is like if you see a wheat field and you picture like that stalk with that little bit of grain on the top, that's that. First, notice that these were the first fruits. What's a first fruit? It's the best of the best. It's like the best part of everything because that's what you, had, that's what you were giving. Under Levitical law, they were supposed to present that to the Levite priests. The northern kingdom at the time where they were living was spiritually bereft, basically. And so this man, out of faith, said, I need to give this to the priest, but I'm going to go to Elisha because he's the one who deserves it. He's the one who's the most faithful. I'm going to take it to him. So it is a faithful man using the best of what God had given him and he helps to provide for these faithful leaders. And we see in verse 42 that he showed up to a meeting of 100 people with 20 small loaves of bread. These are not like loaves of wonder bread. These are like little barley things. They're like, they're like the size of a mini muffin or like maybe a small pita. That's what, I, that's, that's what I saw. We know they couldn't have been too much because he was carrying them in a sack with all of the grain. And he shows up and there's a hundred people there. He says, here, I've brought this for the men. Elisha says, thank you. Looks at his attendant and says, give this to the men to eat. The attendant opens the bag and goes, yeah, okay. You want me to put this in front of a hundred people? I wish I could say I don't relate to that story, but I kind of do. Quite a few years ago, I had some friends, and they said, hey, you want to come over and hang out after work? I was like, absolutely. I want to come over and hang out after work. They're like, cool. They're like, three of us. I'm like, no problem. He says, can you go and just like bring some chips? I'm like, yeah, I can bring some chips. No problem. So I hit the store, and I find a bag of Doritos. Not the little one. The big one. The, like the big one that says family size on it. And I'm excited because I'm like, a lot of Doritos. I like Doritos. So I get there, knock on the door, door opens. There's like 75 people at this place. You want to see a bag of Doritos go from big to small really quick? Hold up a family size of Doritos to 75 people and say, I brought the snacks. How did they respond? They mocked me all evening. Everybody took one. And they walked around, and they would see me, and they'd little nibble on it. 
Jim, these are the best Doritos we've ever had. I'm like, oh man. Now, I, I meant well, I really did. A problem was I didn't understand the situation. The guy who brought the bread in this story though, I don't know. I, I, did he just respond? We know he was godly because he was following Levitical law. So we know that he was doing what he was told to do. But when he came, was it possible that he was just acting in obedience to what God told him and didn't worry about the outcome? Possibly. It doesn't tell us. It doesn't say what the man's thoughts were. But I totally believe that it was out of faith. He was acting in faith to what God had told him. He said, here's what God told him to bring. I brought it. It'll work. Elisha clearly responded in faith because Elisha looked and went, give this to the men. It's the attendant who we have the problem with a little bit because he's like, how am I going to do this? But look at how Elisha responds. In ver- the second part of verse 43, it says, but Elisha answered, give it to the people to eat for this is what the Lord says. They will eat and have some left over. God had said, give it to them. It's fine. Remember again, famine, big famine going on. Elisha wasn't sitting there saying, God, I want you to take care of the famine. He was saying, God is out of faith going to just take care of us right now. Just to eat a meal. Daily routines of life. And within this act, God takes the gifts that had been given and he multiplies them to suit their needs. Just multiplies them in a way that we couldn't possibly do. Physical food, multiplying in the middle of a famine. Because what we can't grow, that's nothing for him. And in essence, declares and shouts out to his people, all you need to do is trust me for what you need. That's it. Trust me for what you need. God provides for us in ways that we don't always know or that we understand, but he is a supreme provider. And I think we should be encouraged today. Be encouraged that God can provide all things for us when we can't do it ourselves. Because we get overwhelmed if we, here, you do it. I can't do it. Okay, well, God can. God can. You ever heard that, that saying, um, God will never give you more than you can handle? Nonsense. He'll give you more than you can handle. He'll never give you more than he can handle because he's God. He can handle everything. So he's going to give us some stuff sometimes. He can handle it. What do we need to do? We need to lean into that. We need to be like, okay, God, I got it. He's a supreme provider for us on so many levels. But let's just think about this just at the most basic of levels. If I asked you right now to hold your breath, could you do it? I see no volunteers. Okay, you're holding your breath already. You held it under there. You're good for today, okay? No problem. All right, the baptism, you did great. In grade six, I was in a music class. And the teacher was trying to teach us how to control our breath because he wanted to see who could hold the note the longest. That's the wind instruments, right? And so he says, we're going to see who can hold their breath the longest. And of course, the drummer is holding his breath. That's not a wood instrument. It's not an instrument you have to blow into. It's drums. About 45 seconds later, because the teacher was only talking to the, wood, the wind section, 
we hear this crash. The drummer has passed out onto the drums. Grade six, crash, like into the cymbals, unbelievable. But as soon as he did, he's, he's unconscious on the ground. But guess what? He was breathing. You know why? Because God's designed our bodies to do what we can't. Think about that. When's the last time you ever said, I have to make my heart beat today? Now, maybe if you're like exercising, you're like, I want to get my heart rate up. So there's that. But when, when did God put us in charge of controlling our own heartbeat? Oh, and by the way, if you forget, it's probably going to be too late. It doesn't do that. How about our gravity? You in control of your own gravity today? Don't give yourself enough gravity, you float off into space. Overcompensate for that, you're flat as a pancake into the ground. In everything that's around us, in the entire environment that God has created for us, he has provided for us in the basics and the necessities of what we need. Understand this, they aren't routine, they're essential. Don't lose sight of that. We don't want to lose sight of that. We want to pay attention to that. The air, the water, the food, all of these things are essential. Think about back in the garden. In the Garden of Eden, in the middle of probably, no, not probably, in the middle of the worst catastrophe of all time, all of humankind being thrown into sin, in the middle of that, Adam and Eve are about to be expelled out of the garden. What's the first thing God does? He clothes them. He provides for their needs. In the middle of what is now going to become complete chaos, which we are now reaping the benefits of still, by the way, in that moment, God's first order of business was to provide for his people. It's amazing that he would do that. And when we realize that that's what he does and those are the things that he does, there's a couple of things that we need to respond with. But we have to recognize first that there are going to be famines in our lives. You are going to go through famines. I don't necessarily mean like the famine like Elisha was going to, but there's going to be some big things that happen in your life. It could be, you know, we could see wars. We see them in the world now. Imagine what that's like waking up to every day. Diseases broken relationships, natural disasters. You know, I'm talking about those events that completely flip our lives upside down. They're the ones where somebody says, where were you on this day? And you say, I know exactly where I was. I was sitting here, I was eating this, and I could smell this in the air. It's that moment that just, wow, something has happened. In that moment, they're all inevitable. These things are going to happen. There's no way we can avoid them. No way that we can avoid them right now. So, because we are going to go through these trials, what we now have to do is change our mindset and think, okay, God is in control of all of this. He has to be, because God's letting it happen. So if God's letting it happen, there's a reason that he's letting it happen. And if he's letting it happen and I'm going through it, I might not understand it, but I have to trust that God is sovereign. He rules over everything. He is in control of everything. 
Now we can start looking and saying, okay, if the big things I know he's got, well, what else is he doing? What else is going on? Because you've got to remember, do bad things happen in our lives? Yes. Are they the only thing happening in our lives? No. See, those big things will overshadow the other things. We've got to just be intentional about that, about, about remembering that. Just from the scripture today, right? In the scripture today, there is a famine going on, big picture, yet God is performing miracles in front of Elisha. Isn't he worthy of worship for that? Isn't he worthy of praise for that? Even though the big things, Elisha, you know, he could have been sitting there saying, fix the famine. But he didn't. Just looked at God for who he was and trusted in obedience got to be encouraged knowing that God is very involved in our physical care, even when we don't know, our spiritual care as well. But God is taking care of us. Even when we, things happen that we don't understand or we don't get, we can rest just knowing that God is who he is. And we also have to remember that God uses these situations for our benefit. He actually is using them to provide for us spiritually. He's doing it to restore us spiritually. In James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, listen to what it says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Just pause there for a minute. I'm going through the worst situation in my life. What does God's word tell me? Consider it pure joy. Okay. It doesn't feel like joy. But then he says, why? He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be, that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God will often use the physical realities that are around us so that it will produce in us a renewed reliance on him. He'll take all of the things that are so bad that are going on in the world and he'll say, no, you can't handle it. Trust me with it. I can do it. I do it. That's weird. Our physical situations. There are people today, right now, who are going to get diagnosis, a diagnosis of terminal disease, of terminal illness right now. And the word says, find it joy because in that you are going to be spiritually benefited from You're going to spiritually benefit. That's amazing that God does that. Anybody here ever hit rock bottom before? I have. Here's the thing about rock bottom. When you're there, the only place left to look is up. Can't look anywhere else because you're at the bottom. God says, I'll take you there. And he changes us and he renews us. I mean, like the first miracle today, our lives were like the poison stew. We were completely tainted. Completely living like death or in leading to death. That, that's us. That was us. But because of God's grace in our lives, as we sang this morning, death was arrested. Death stopped being a reality for us. It's amazing. That's amazing. And when you think about that, if I asked you and I said, 
Um, uh, God came to save who? God came to save the world, right? God came to save sinners. God, we, we, I did this, this at our Spark Camp this year with our campers. I said, who did God come to save? They're really good. They're like, yeah, the world. He came to save sinners. He came to save everybody. And I finally kept asking, but who? Who did he come to save? Who did he come to save? Who did he come to save? And they finally said he came to save me. Yes. Salvation is a very personal thing. In the midst of our lives, which were absolutely broken and crazy, God reached down and saved you if you have received the gift of salvation. Because he's a supreme restorer. It's incredibly personal. God is not just the God of the big things. Do you realize that God is unparalleled when it comes to his attention to detail? It's not just about these big themes. God has impeccable attention to detail. Psalm 139. Let this sink in for just a minute. I'm going to read verses 1 to 5 first. This is David, by the way. David in the middle of complete chaos in his life. Could be sitting there and saying, God, I need you to save me from this situation right now. But here's how he was moved. Listen, you've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Does that sound like a God who's only concerned about the big things? God knows your thoughts. He knows your words. He knows how you're feeling. Listen, it keeps going. Read and start in 13, verse 13 here of Psalm 139. Listen to the attention to detail. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well, full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. He, really? He knows us so well. He knows every day that you're going to have and have had intimately exactly the way that it's supposed to be because he's ordained them before the creation of time. Pretty detail-oriented. He knit us together in our mother's womb. Do you realize he knows every cell in your body? Every one of them. Matthew 10 verse 30 tells us he knows every hair on, his, on our head. Genesis 1 tells us that he created everything we see, every molecule, every atom, every working little thing anywhere, God created it. Pastor Jordan said this morning, the rocks will sing to him. How does a rock do it? Because God will ordain it if we don't. He knows what we need before we do. That's in Matthew 6, verse 8. He is the supreme provider for his people. He is the supreme restorer of our souls because he has impeccable attention to detail. 
how invested is God in the daily routine of your life? What can we do? How do we respond to this now? There's only one thing we can do. We have to respond with thanksgiving. We have to respond with thanksgiving. I asked at the start of the morning, is it your desire to give God all the praise that he is due? I hope the answer to that question is yes today. But sometimes the big things overshadow the little things. I think we can be encouraged this morning. I think we should be encouraged this morning understanding that God has got it. God is right now present and active and he hears us and he knows our situation. You might have walked in here this morning and thought, I have such a big weight on my shoulders. God has got it. Let that melt away. God has got it. Be encouraged that God has got it. First thing we need to do is we need to live as people who overflow with gratitude to God who reached down and restored us. Supreme restorer. Brought us from a state of complete sin, a complete death, disobedience, gave us the power of the Holy Spirit and has changed our lives. Does he not deserve praise for that? Amen. When I woke up this morning, guess what? I didn't have to think about breathing. God did it for me overnight. I was asleep. He breathed. He designed me to breathe. What do we sing this morning? It's your breath in our lungs. Let us pour out our praise to you, God. You're the one who's deserving of all of it. But we don't want to miss that because we're so concerned about all of the big things that are happening. We want to, we want to be able to focus on that. He is the supreme restorer. And think about that word overflowing, right? It's like you, you, you pour water into a, into a glass and the, water, the glass can only hold so much water, and it can't help. Can the water help but fall out? No, it just does it. We want to be walking around with thanksgiving and saying, God, thank you for everything you've given me. Why? Because that's part of the way that we actually give back to him. That's a worship moment for us. That's a prime praise opportunity. You get to go into a hospital room one day, and somebody will give you a terminal diagnosis, and your answer back is going to be, it's okay because I have a God who is a supreme restorer. And people are going to look at you and think, what is wrong with you? You're like, no, what's right with me is God. We want to live as people who live with an abundance of thanksgiving. Searching for opportunities to offer up praise and worship to the one who is the supreme provider giving us everything we need. And as we heard in the text this morning, even more than we do. Remember, they will, they will have enough even more. They'll have even more than enough. They will eat and have some left over. Hmm. Thanksgiving to God, giving praise and thanksgiving. There is, there is something amazing about praising God in those little moments. I can't, I, I, I can't find something. Well, there it is. Oh, Lord, thank you for drawing my attention to that. Thank you. That's just a daily routine thing. You sit down and you, you pray for your food before you pray. Are you doing it rote? Are you saying it just, I'm going to say the prayer I always say? Or are you... 
truly giving God thanks for what he's provided for you. He's a supreme provider. He's amazing. So this morning, my challenge for us is just let's, let's just, let's just refocus our minds. Let's just reset them. Because you're about to walk out of this church today and you're going to be in a world that is full of absolute chaos. It's all, you can't avoid it. Somebody will ask you something about chaos today. Reset. Just today, right now, reset. God, how do I live with an abundance of gratitude? How do I have an overflow of thanksgiving? How do I do that? God, help me. Help me. His love, his grace, his mercy. As the one who has impeccable attention to detail, doesn't he deserve every detail of your life? Because I think he does. And when we recognize that it's him who provides it for us, turn that back into thanksgiving. Amen? Amen. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for what you do in our lives. Thank you that you are a God who is so intentional, so meticulous, so detailed about how you deal with us in our lives. God, there are famines that we go through. There are spiritual famines. There are physical famines. God, you are the provider. You are the restorer of all things. God, thank you. Forgive us. Forgive us, Father, that there are times when we take for granted those, what seems routine. Father, the big things, you are sovereign over you are in complete control. God, we, I'm, we're sorry that we focus on them sometimes and, and maybe miss out. But God, thank you this morning for the reminder. The reminder that you are worthy of all of our worship and all of our praise. Help us, even today, as we leave here, find those opportunities to give praise to the one and only who deserves it. Pray that in the mighty name and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.